Welcome to season two of the Symmetry Podcast, a space to help spiritually curious people grow. I'm co-host Brad Collins, and joining me is our other co-host, Ben Laboot. Hi, Brad. Hi, Ben. And for the benefit of our future listeners, we're recording this in April 2020, about one month into the age of coronavirus. So, while COVID-19 helped to inspire today's conversation, we put together an episode that should have something for everyone, whether you're sick of hearing about COVID-19 or you can't get enough of it. That's right. Today, we're talking plagues, people, and practices. But first things first, what is a pandemic? I've taken more classes on microbiology than I can count on one hand. Yeah, I still don't know the differences between pandemics, epidemics, and, well, just plain old demics. So let's start with pandemic, and I figured we would just ask Google what a pandemic is. And so a pandemic is a disease that is prevalent over a whole country or the world. (laughs) (laughs) And so an epidemic is a widespread occurrence of an infectious disease in a particular community at a particular time. And finally, endemic is an adjective that means of or pertaining to a distinct population of people. So pandemic, country or larger, epidemic, less than country, but still big. Endemic is actually a word. Huh, now I know. So that brings us to movement one, plagues. Plagues is a good place to start. And I think it's important to note that plagues are different than pandemics. So a plague can be a pandemic, but a pandemic is not necessarily a plague. And here's why. Plagues are diseases that spread quickly and they either kill quickly or no harm done to you. So what does this mean? So something like HIV might be a pandemic or epidemic. It's just bad and a lot of people have it, but it's not a plague because HIV spreads slowly. You need blood contact or other close contact, so it's not a good plague candidate. However, if you can sneeze it onto people, like smallpox, <laughs> TB, <laughs> cholera, right? That, that can spread quickly. And so those are the things we give, ki- ki- we give kids vaccines for uh, because it has potential to actually become a plague. And diseases like this decimate populations. And decimate would be an understatement, right? Because that refers to only the first 10%. So plagues destroy populations because pretty much everyone gets it and they either kill you quick, like one month to live at max, or you're unaffected by it. You can still transmit it, but you won't die or really be harmed. Before we talk more about COVID-19, I thought I'd take us back to a few thousand years ago with one of the earliest plagues recorded in human history. And the name of that plague is actually Babesiosis. Hmm. So Babesiosis is most likely one of the earliest recorded plagues. It is a tick-borne illness in which species of Babesia parasites infect red blood cells. It can happen in humans, but it very often happens in cattle. And so if you think back to the 10 plagues in Egypt, like if you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt or you've read the book of Exodus, one of the plagues in Exodus chapter 9 was an illness that affected cattle and sheep and other livestock, and that was most likely babesiosis. So plagues are nothing new. So one of the biblical words for 
plague is actually pestilence, and the Hebrew word is tever, and I have no idea how to pronounce Hebrew, so uh, let's not pretend I do. And it not only means pestilence or plague, but also specifically means cattle disease. So I will mention that one of the most common comparisons I've been hearing over the past month or so has been between COVID-19 and the influenza pandemic of 1918 to 1919. So that's also sometimes called the Spanish flu, but it's a bit questionable if that's an accurate description of it. So let's just call it the influenza pandemic of 1918. <laughs> and so specifically, that is when a bacteria called influenza type A, subtype H1N1, caused an estimated 25 million deaths globally, with 550,000 of those in the United States. And so it was 1918, which means this began during World War I, and it actually came in three waves, which is something else that the news mentioned. So it, it started in the spring of 1918, and the first wave was relatively mild, but then continued or came back in the fall of 1918, and again the next winter, and those second two waves were much more deadly than the first. Hmm. So for example, India saw approximately 12 and a half million deaths from the influenza pandemic of 1918. And, you know, it's something that it seems like was imprinted upon people's like collective consciousness. And in the United States, it was about 550,000 deaths. And so a hundred or so years later, when we're talking about the United States federal government saying that our best case scenario is 100 to 200,000 deaths in the United States from COVID-19, it is definitely a pandemic on the scale of the influenza pandemic of 1918. So if we jump forward 100 years to COVID-19, the virus that causes COVID-19 is the Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, Coronavirus 2, abbreviated SARS-CoV-2. And so if that sounds familiar, it's because SARS was a disease caused by a coronavirus in 2002 and 2003. So what is a coronavirus? A coronavirus is a small particle with protein and genetic material, and it is spread through respiratory droplets. What does that mean? It means you can cough and sneeze it onto people, and SARS-CoV-2 can also be transmitted by close contact, which is where this whole six feet and social distancing comes from, and fomites, which is probably one of my favorite words from medicine, and... Fomite means a uh, object that the virus is on. So that's when people talk about the virus living on surfaces. So they'll like wipe down the door handle. That's because the door handle's a fomite. And the other thing is, this is what scientists think it spreads through. However, the virus is a novel new coronavirus. So we're actually still learning how it spreads. And COVID-19 can cause severe acute respiratory syndrome. But the most common signs and symptoms are fever, cough, and shortness of breath. And so one of the things that's very challenging about a virus is there aren't a lot of antivirals in the world. The treatment for something like COVID-19 is supportive, meaning you help people breathe, you help their fever, you help their pain, you keep them hydrated. But there's nothing that you can give that we know of yet that can attack the actual virus and vaccines take like 18 months to make, so we don't have a vaccine either. And that brings us to movement two, people. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention say that 
quote, the best way to prevent illness is to avoid being exposed to this virus, end quote. So how do we do that? As humans, you know, we came together and said, this is going to be very challenging, both in the now, in terms of social isolation, and in terms of economic changes, but it is not worth hundreds of thousands or millions of lives to not do all we can to prevent it. And so here's my conclusion from all this coronavirus stuff. People are stupider than we give them credit for, and humanity is better than we give ourselves credit for. All you have to do is think of the toilet paper shortages. It just doesn't make any sense. As my mom said, uh, some people just need to stay at home with their Charmin. And so that's the part that just, you know, makes me feel like uh, sometimes people are stupider than we give them credit for. However, the fact that collectively as a global population, we're coming together to prevent the spread of this SARS-CoV-2 virus and COVID-19, I think that just shows that humanity is uh, even better than we give ourselves credit for sometimes. And frankly, if you have to choose between intelligence and goodness, I think I would go with goodness. However, it is still annoying to watch the amount of toilet paper being hoarded by people. I think you're right, and I think my people are stupider than we think sometimes. Humanity is better than we think sometimes. It, it makes a lot of sense, because like you've seen, we've seen a lot of people, like one or two people or a household take actions that are nonsensical, like hoarding like toilet paper or like milk or something that'll go bad, so you can't really hoard it. Just things that don't make any sense. But then we've also seen businesses credit lenders, the U.S. government, and they've all kind of stepped up to the plate and been treating people pretty well. I know a lot of businesses that are like letting people go take more PTO than they have. Just, hey, stay home. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the bills. A lot of credit lenders have said, hey, no interest for a long time, so pay your bills. Don't go crazy with it, but we're not going to make this worse for you. Like, we'll do our part to make it better. And that impressed me. I gotta be honest, I was not expecting companies and governments to step up like that. Bubonic Plague, an interlude. So unfortunately, the word plague has kind of been co-opted, given a definite article and a capital P. And the word plague has been assigned to a gram-negative bacterium called Yersinia pestis. And that's named after Alexander Yersin. He actually discovered that responsible bacterium in 1894. This goes back a ways. White pestis is transmitted by fleas, normally, that live on rodents, typically rats, but it could be squirrels or any other type of rodent. These days, Yersinia pestis can be killed with antibiotics. However, throughout history, it's been the blame for some of the worst plagues. So to name only three, the Justinian Plague, which was in about 540 AD, that was centered around the Byzantine Empire, of which Justinian was the emperor. There was the very famous Black Death, which occurred in the mid-14th century, led to the death of something like one-fourth to one-third of the population of Europe, and the Great Plague of London, that began in 1664, then spread to France, and then throughout the rest of Europe. So, bubonic plague is this black death, which is caused by Yersinia pestis, 
And this is because Y pestis takes three forms. They're septicemic, pneumonic, and bubonic. Bubonic refers to bubos, which is a, a very fun word. That's the antiquated term for swollen lymph nodes. Uh, so the painful swelling around the groin, the armpits, and the neck especially, where lymph nodes are common, that would be a telltale sign of this disease. But I was working at an ER, and I had a patient come up to me, and I asked him what his chief complaint was, so what brings you in today? And he told me, in a very calm way, but with panic in his eyes, that he had the plague. <laughs> and since it wasn't my first day on the job, I didn't freak out. Uh, yeah, my thought was, what makes you think you have the plague? <laughs> and like, Brad, I know you've had encounters like this in healthcare. And then he responded, WebMD, and says that, okay, no worries here. But I said, if it's appropriate, we'll treat you for that. However, I wouldn't worry too much about the plague because it's actually highly unlikely that you have that. If there's any measure of comfort to be taken with the idea that humanity may be better than we give it credit for, I think we're seeing things in new ways. I think we're seeing people be more cooperative than we thought before. I think people are understanding the importance of public health in a way that we haven't before. I think we're seeing that jobs that don't often get a lot of prestige, like nursing or grocery clerks or postal workers, are actually the heroes of this pandemic. And I think on a personal level, uh, for the people that are self-quarantined or sheltered in place or staying at home, hashtag staying at home, I think people have an opportunity to reflect and maybe even learn something new about themselves and about the world in this time. So one of the things that Oprah Winfrey often says when something challenging happens in life is, what is this here to teach me? And I wonder if in this time where there is a lot of fear about the world ending or the world as we know it changing forever, I wonder if a healthy response might be, what can I see in a new way because of COVID-19? When I read Apocalypsis Johannes, which is the last book of the Bible, translated the Revelation of John, when I see something like the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, not the drink, but famine, I think the Pale Rider's death, and I know disease or pestilence is one of them, the goal of a book like that is not as much to scare me as to help me see something in a new light. So that's really what an apocalypse is. So moving from people to movement three practices, I just want to go back to that thought from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention that the best way to prevent illness is to avoid being exposed to this virus. Well, thank you, CDC. Yes. So thank you, CDC. And I just adapted the six basic things just to kind of check the box and feel good about saying it. Number one, clean your hands often. Number two, avoid close contact. 
Number three, stay home if you're sick. Number four, cover coughs and sneezes. Number five, wear a face mask if you are sick. Number six, clean and disinfect. And I just want to say that most of these things are what the CDC recommends for preventing infectious disease spread in general, including COVID-19. And so in some sense, a lot of this is a cosmic reminder to do the basic things and to add a couple of measures to prevent the prodigious spread of this novel coronavirus. But there's a lot of wisdom in washing your hands and covering your coughs and sneezes and staying home if you're sick and cleaning and disinfecting. I mean, these are things that we're all ideally doing in normal times. And so certainly in pandemic times, it makes even more sense. Those sorts of practicalities aside, I had a couple that I was thinking of. And so my first thought is certainly look for whatever employment's out there. Uh, Look for ways to help people. Even something as simple as if you have a resource that others are lacking. uh, So say maybe when this started, you got like a pallet of toilet paper from Costco, and now you see your neighbors don't have it. Consider sharing resources. You can drop it off off at the door, no contacts. There's lots of positive things people can be doing. Helping others aside, there's still a myriad of ways to put one's time to good use. First thing is uh, fix or build whatever project you have in mind that's usually too time consuming. Learn how to make a paper swan or other origami, because why not? Read a good book. One of my favorites is get outside for a walk, a jog or a bike ride. Or better yet, I was thinking about this, you could break out the skates you bought back in 95 and rollerblade down the sidewalk. Um, and that would be a lot of fun. Other ideas, learn a foreign language. Uh, learn to dance. But honestly, if you're stuck at home with your partner and it's getting a bit tense, learn how to dance. There's YouTube videos. So there's lots of other things to learn also. There's so much free content on the internet. And the final two things I'll mention for your life in quarantine are meditation. And the last thing I'll mention is exercise. So those are some very practical things I think people can be doing. And I think they'll look back and be happy that they did. And I will say that perhaps even one of the things you haven't had a lot of time for previously has been just resting. And so in addition to a project or a creative endeavor or whatever else you might do, you may also take some time of intentional rest and refreshing. And that may be the best thing you can do for yourself in these days. And finally, if you're a person of faith, not only is there time to pray, but there's also a pandemic that may help you perceive the need to do so. And that may be one of the most practical things you can do as well. So these days, it feels like we don't really need virtues. But now, it seems like the time to test one's mettle. And the thoughts that come to mind are, will you be the type of person who hoards baby wipes in your house? Or will you leave those on the shelf for the mother whose child is in diapers? Will you buy up masks and gloves to wear while you drive in your car or walk around the park? Or will you leave those there 
for the people who actually need masks and gloves every day, even before all of this started. And they're the ones on the front lines actually working day in and day out with the virus that caused so much fear and panic. And if you won't, then when you buy two boxes, will you at least take one of them to someone who actually needs it? And this, I believe, is virtue. This comes from the Latin virtus virtutis, which literally means the things that make a man a man. So who is a true man or true woman? The type of person who inspires and awakens people to causes beyond themselves. The person with virtue, that truly quixotic man or woman, is the healthcare worker who is working in conditions that most of us can't even realize. The person with virtue is that man or woman who will scorn the chaos that surrounds and remain calm, remain generous with their time and money, remain steadfast, islets of peace and security in a world that has otherwise lost it. So I think we should end this episode with words from Psalm 91. And the Psalms and the scriptures are many things. They're songs, they're prayers, they're praises, they're laments. But Psalm 91 seems particularly fitting for the age of coronavirus. So hear these words even as a prayer of blessing over you. Living in the Most High Shelter, camping in the Almighty's shade, I say to the Lord, You are my refuge, my stronghold. You are my God, the one I trust. <laughs>